Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partner, We Are One Composites, and this is your last chance to take advantage of this month's amazing offer. We Are One has a rapidly growing group of dedicated customers and fans for good reason. Believe me, once you've experienced how good these wheels are and how supportive We Are One are, you'll be joining that club too. The wheels not only look stunning, but have been designed to be robust, reliable, and to have a ride quality that balances stiffness and compliance, meaning you get a wheel set that sticks to lines but isn't so stiff that it pings you off every little obstacle in the trail. I'm running a faction up front and a union at the back, and I haven't even needed to show them a spoke key in the time that I've had them. They're still perfectly tight and true. We Are One are offering downtime listeners a very generous 10% off any Revolution wheel set, including rim only, for the month of September. All you need to do is to head to weareonecomposites.com and use the code DOWNTIMEWHEELING2022 at the checkout. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, followed by the word WHEELING, W-H-E-E-L-I-N-G, no space, then the number 2022 over at weareonecomposites.com. Head to their website now and check out their entire range of awesome wheels. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. There's buttons to help you get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. Merch is available if you want to support the show. That's over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and check out our beautiful print project, Downtime EP, that's made in collaboration with the awesome team over at Miss Spent Summers. It's a biannual piece of mountain bike history that takes the guests and the topics from the podcast, expands on them and brings them into a printed format, featuring words and imagery from mountain biking's most talented creators. You can get single copies of back issues or you can save yourself some money by treating yourselves to an annual subscription over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. You can get in touch and give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook by heading to at downtimepodcast. All right, today I'm joined by Canadian rider Magnus Manson. Magnus has had an incredible riding career so far, taking a silver medal at Junior World Champs in Val d'Isole, the Canadian national title in 2018 and a top 20 in Elite World Champs in Lenzerheide. The last few years, though, have been rough for Magnus. He suffered a huge injury in 2020, which took a massive amount of drive and focus to recover from. Not long after getting back on the bike, Magnus was diagnosed with stage 3 Hodgkin lymphoma, a type of blood cancer. Magnus recently found out that he was in remission, and we sat down to hear his incredible story. I was blown away by Magnus's resilience and determination, and I hope everyone finds some inspiration in this episode. So, without further ado, here's Magnus Manson. Magnus Manson, welcome to the Downtime Podcast, man. It's uh, It's been a while coming together, but I'm stoked to finally sit down and, and have a proper chat with you. Yeah, no, it was sweet. I think, yeah, you reached out kind of right in the middle of everything. So I think now that we've kind of got through the, the harder part, I think it's, yeah, I'm ready to kind of talk and chat and see what see what you got to ask me. Definitely, man. Well, let's let's start where we start most of these episodes, right? And let's get back to the start of it. Um, and I'm guessing it was a, a fairly obvious route into bikes for you, because I think, am I right in saying both your parents are pretty good bike riders? Yeah, actually. So my my parents both raced track, like on the velodrome, so like round in circles on wooden tracks. And my mom was on the Italian national team, and my dad was on the Canadian one. So they never pushed it, but like I remember being at the track as a tiny kid, and they were ripping around and. I always kind of bikes were always around kind of thing, but it wasn't until I was like 13 that I actually started riding mountain bikes as like my sport. I think in Canada it's hockey. Hockey's pretty popular. So I played a <laughs> yeah. lot of hockey as a kid. I was goalie 
And then just one summer, we went up to Crankworks with a buddy and like rented downo bikes. And I was like, this is the best. Because I think any biking I'd done before was like XC styles. And I never I never loved it. But I was like, oh, it's cool. I'll, I can do that once in a while. But then I found downhill. I was like, oh, this is like just the best part of mount. This is the best part of riding without having to ride up. So I, I immediately fell in love. Definitely, man. Where did you grow up then? Uh, so I grew up on like the Sunshine Coast. It's just kind of a little, it's a community outside of Seashell or sorry, outside of Vancouver. And uh-huh. yeah, it's, it kind of, it, it's home to like the coastal crew boys, kind of the free ride stuff. And it was always kind of a cool environment because they were always building some like really amazing trails, maybe not race trails, but like just stuff that was like so fun to ride. So as soon as I got a bike, I had all these trails kind of in my backyard that I could go play on. Amazing. Yeah. Perfectly, uh, perfectly sport where you are. So was it, was it natural for you? Is there a competitive element that kind of comes from your parents? Maybe was it a natural step to want to go racing this thing? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. I just, I started riding and I was like, oh, there must be like some competitions and I found some races, but I started riding in like whatever August uh, like around Crankworks. I was like, I want to go race right away, but there was no competition. Like it's cause kind of winding down. So like, okay, we'll go race next year. And yeah, like, I don't know. I, I think just, yeah, I wanted to make it my sport and I think sport is inherently competitive. So I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll try to be competitive at this and spend some time on it. So, no messing around. I was just yeah. a kid. I was only, yeah, 13. So it was, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just having fun. That's all good. You've got quite a cool scene there with like BC cups, right? Yeah. Oh, it's been, it's crazy. Like I think when I started racing, it was like, we got people like Finn and Henry Fitzgerald and Mark Wallace, like a few kids who've come through during my time. And like, but I think, but nowadays it's crazy to go to a BC cup. Like the, like you got, you got world cup kids at BC cups, like who would have thought kind of thing. Cause it used to be, yeah. Like there's a lot of really fast dudes, but not many people who could then show up at the world cup. So I think it was, it, it, me and Finn, I think we're kind of the start of that, that kind of next wave of riders that were coming through the ranks. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, you were getting some pretty, uh, pretty good results from the get go, right? There was a lot of wins pretty early on in your career. Yeah, yeah, no, I think me and yeah, I, I right away, I kind of figured it out, I think. And I think, I don't know whether I think just because when you first get into racing, like there's no, there's no history, there's no like background or stuff to kind of to drag you down. So I was just going out and racing and I didn't know half the kids, like I kind of started to meet them. And then like at the end of the season, me and Finn, Finn hung out a lot and rode and then we became really good friends. And yeah, it was just like kind of fun. Like it, you just, you don't know what you're doing. There's no pressures at that point. You're just hanging out with your parents and going bike racing. So nice and you hit up crankworks uh racing pretty young as well right were you was it about 15 maybe when you hit yeah i actually hated racing crankwork i couldn't figure out the tracks and like i had really struggled my first whatever year or two but like yeah now it's probably one of my favorite because it's close to home and we got to ride them but yeah no the crankworks is fun and i tried to go race as much as i could just get that experience kind of thing yeah that must have been an exciting experience though racing crankworks at a young age it's such a big event like yeah, oh, it was just wild. Like you, you know, like BC Cups. Like back then, there was no, there was no fans, kind of thing. It was just yeah, the parents and people hanging out at the bottom. Whereas there, you started having. Well, we were we were only U fifteen, so it wasn't that busy. But we started having. There's fans yelling at you, and it's it's a whole other whole other thing. Amazing, yeah. cool stuff, man. And then 2015 was your first time heading away to World Cups, and you were with Norco Factory Racing then, I think. How did you get from like being a young ripper and getting stuck into the racing to to sign in for a team of that caliber and heading off to World Cups as a junior? Yeah, I mean, I think at, so. At the start of my racing career, like when I was like just a kid, I started just racing my own category. But really quickly, I realized like if I want to be the best at what I can do. 
I got to try to beat the people ahead of my category. And then like, so I think my second year racing, I raced up a category. And then when I was first year junior, I was racing pro locally. Like I was really trying to always get, get a little bit quicker than just my pool of people. And I think that really pushed me to then when I like to get that opportunity to go race. Cause I think having those results as a kid where you're, you're almost riding above your category that that goes a long way with teams. Cause that's kind of what they want to see when they're, when they're looking for the athletes. So it was hard. And like, it always, sometimes I'd only be competitive in my own category, but I still had some amazing results where I was first year junior and I was winning in elite. So sometimes it paid off. And I think those are those standout results that they look for. So, yeah. So did they come to you then, or were you kind of out like shopping yourself around trying to get team deals? How did it actually happen? Oh yeah. So I, I mean, I, so I was, yeah, friends with Finn and his brother, Jack, like they were, they were part of the Performex program, which like Todd Shimluck runs. Uh Um, so at the time Todd was putting together the Norco team and I think it was kind of through them and just he, Todd reached out and just kind of said, Hey, this is what we're doing. You look like a great fit at the same time. Gabe Fox also reached out. So there was a bit of, it was Da Vinci or Norco at the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, for whatever reason went Norco and yeah, it was, it was good, I think, but it was just, I don't know if I was ready yet, or I don't know if the prep was there for that first year of junior. Like I, I felt real overwhelmed and I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is what I want to do. This was too much kind of thing. Like it, it took, it took a little bit for me to kind of get into it. And that year, I don't think I figured I had a world cup level. I definitely had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. It must be super like overwhelming, I guess, because you've watched the sport at that level, I guess on like rebel tv and stuff and it's all your heroes and then suddenly you're there and lord's probably not the easiest track for your first world cup yeah no i think it was wet lords too like it was icy it felt icy almost like it wasn't i don't know i just yeah i wasn't there and that yeah the whole starstruck thing like i hadn't really spent time around this like those people in the sport like those big racers and like yeah just kind of didn't just didn't have it figured out and i don't think i don't know if i was ready fully but i part of me knows i needed that year to to mess it up. I think, I think we all learned from, from our mistakes, but yeah, it was, it was a tough year for sure. Yeah. How did you, how did you process that then? Like as a, as a young guy feeling that out of your depth, but being obviously super competitive and wanting to perform, like how did you deal with it mentally and kind of stay strong and not, not walk away from the sport at that point? Cause it must've been. Well, I, yeah. I mean, like I, I almost did walk away. Like I kind of, at the end of the season, I was like, I don't like, that was not fun. I never, I didn't enjoy it that year. That was like one of the first years I was just like, I, this is not fun to do. I'm not happy with like, I'm just, wasn't happy with the whole program kind of thing. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. And then funny enough, like, I guess that kind of, that got out in some level. And then Gabe Fox came back and he's like, Hey, like, if you want to do any racing, like you can just tag along, like you got to pay for your flights. You got to get there, but just tag along with us like Da Vinci and I'll, I'll get you the bike and we'll, we'll kind of help you out kind of thing. And I was like, you know what? Like, okay, well if, if I got the opportunity, it'd be, it'd be a shame to pass it up because yeah, but that, and then all of a sudden that that's really started working. And I think it just came like I'd known Gabe for a little while before. And it was just that belief, like a lot more belief from the people around me that were like making sure, like, even when I didn't feel ready, they're, they're giving me the confidence kind of thing, which I, I yeah, it was harder, harder to find on the other program. So. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And I guess like just a bit of familiarity as well, like you would have been to some of the same venues that year as you had yeah. in 2015. So you kind of, it's not all new, like there's some level of comfort with what you're doing maybe. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like you show up and you know it more, but I, just, I think it was it for me that whole year of my second year junior, which was probably one of my best racing years. 
it was like it was I just I knew every weekend it was going to get better. And I knew that the people around me were willing to yeah give me those words or those. Yeah, that the encouragement when things weren't right and that like that went so far for me because at the at in that in that kind of catalyst of my career where I was kind of starting to figure it out, it like I needed those just a little bit of guidance here and there. And like I like with with the passing of Stevie, um, it was kind of tough for the team, I think, because they had to they had to juggle a lot. Um, but yeah, Nigel ended up being basically kind of being my mechanic. He was looking after a lot of stuff, but yeah, Nigel Reeves helped me out a ton that year and like yeah, that was huge because now I have this guy who's worked with a guy who's won races and he knows what he's, he knows how to do it. He does amazing like suspension and yeah, he got my sure. bike running fast. He like, he just, he wouldn't let me run shitty setups. Like I was, <laughs> he'd make sure I was right kind of thing. And I, that, that went a long ways for me because I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't kind of wondering so much because I had so much guidance and experience from, yeah, between Gabe, Nigel and, and everyone else involved. Yeah, that's a solid crew around you. And I, I think, am I right in saying you had a bit of support from the Stevie Smith Foundation to go to World Champs that year in Val d'Isoc? Yeah, yeah. So I think that was the first year, yeah, with the path, passing of Stevie, they did like the Steve Smith Award at Crankworks. And yeah, because at the time I was I was still I, as a kid, but I was delivering pizzas kind of thing whenever I was home, just working a little part-time job, get cash. My parents helped, but I think a whole my parents are good at making sure I get to go do the thing, but they want to make sure I'm I'm also as committed and working hard to make it happen. So I was always working part-time jobs and, but yeah. And then it was just kind of like, it gave me, it was a chunk of cash and it just helped me yeah, get to worlds and yeah, be still be able to go with the team. Cause if, if I could get there, Gabe was like, yeah, we got you, but we just can't afford flights. Like you're not built into the budget. So we'll just, but yeah, it was, it worked out. Yeah, tell us about that Valdosol World Champs thing because that, like you say, that did that did work out, didn't it? In a big yeah. way. No, it, it was funny. That race is, I I remember it was just like one of the happiest races where just like every it was one of those races where everything clicked and like it just that just doesn't happen a lot. But I think the whole year was building up to that race. Like the first World Cup of that year, I got like twenty sixth in junior, so like almost last. And then the last race, I got second to Finn, which was like, oh well. I came a long ways from the beginning and it didn't, it wasn't, never did I feel like I was over my limit. And that was what was cool is like, just as that confidence came, I, I went faster and faster without feeling like I was risking my life to go do it. So it was, yeah, I think that was one of my, yeah, that was super fun. And like the race run, I like, I think I got, got them on the top split, but then I just fell apart on the bottom. I wasn't strong <laughs> enough, but yeah, it was pretty, pretty exciting and cool to share it with Finn. Like we, like our first race was, we were both started the same year and like, we were on the podium on our first race and then on that race we shared the podium too and it, it was pretty special. Yeah, taking silver silver medal at World Champs on a track like Val de Sol as well. I think it always seems to be a track that riders are proud to do well at because it's such a gnarly track. Yeah. Oh, I hated it. Like the first year I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't ride it. Like I was I just wasn't fit or wasn't committed. But then yeah, all of a sudden it, it clicked. And then yeah, looking back on it, it's like wow, like I I got to that place mentally where it wasn't scary. It wasn't intimidating. I just like, I had my lines. I was going to ride them the best I could. And I think those are the races when it, like it all kind of comes together when you're not like, you're not caught in a thought or a worry about the track. Like you, you know that you have your limits and you, you find the lines and like your own limitations on the track and then you just execute the best you can. And like when you, when you really boil it down to that, it gets really simple when you're always worrying about like, what's this guy doing? What's that guy doing? You start to get lost and, all the options yeah were there were there any kind of things that you did that you remember kind of changing to make that year better 
or was it really just a product of like a better environment, a better vibe, and then that progression throughout the year, like steadily improving? Like was yeah, there- I, well, yeah, you, yeah, you nailed it. Like just it was just the yeah the the support and like and then the self belief like with those results like yeah I got twenty sixth and then I got eighth and then I got like sixth or fifth and then fourth and then second like it it's just like it was going the right way and to get those results and like in the, all the small races in between like I was doing really well too so it kind of just it all it seemed like it just kind of led up to this moment and then the moment was great so that's I think. I, I like working on momentum. When I feel that momentum, it's easy to just keep it going. Yeah, fair play. And then 2017, obviously, you have to take that leap up into elite, which is something that I think a lot of riders seem to struggle with. It, it's not an easy move, right? Oh, not at all. Like you, I think, well, that's the funny thing. So I finished I finished 26, I think, at that World Champs if I would have raced pro. Uh-huh. when i was a junior so it was like oh like i think i i think i can go fast like at that competitive level um but yeah just a whole other thing and mentally and i think and yeah that year i changed bikes and different program and yeah i didn't didn't gel with that kona bike a ton and there was just there's like a lot of change and with the like with the like how da vinci dissolved it was a bit it was a bit kind of hectic through the winter it wasn't like a a nice solid platform to build off of so i think yeah, just again, just didn't have it, didn't have it sorted out mentally to, to do it, which I hate, I hate that junior, I did the same thing. I didn't learn for pro for that first year, but yeah, just didn't, didn't have the year I wanted, but also had had like, I still qualified for races and it just, I, I hoped I, I wanted more of myself and I was, I was struggling for a lot of the year to get there. Was it easier though than that rough first junior year and that you knew the performance could be there because you'd seen it when you compared yourself to elite times or was that even kind of harder because you knew it was there and you weren't able to access it yeah i think it yeah put a certain pressure on me like it wasn't it didn't seem like i think it's hard because you get to the point when you're there and you're getting the support like there's uh you, you need to show up like if you get that pressure where i i'm here and someone's paying for it and i have to do it and i think it, that that's a whole other thing to manage and and the, it's not the people around, like I'm working with the people, Kona is now forbidden kind of thing. Like it's a yeah, lot yeah. of the same people and they're great. It's just, I don't think I understood how much support I was getting from them and how much they believed in me still and, and how it wasn't as big of a deal. And I thought that's just part of maturing and growing up. Like you can't really, it's hard to teach that where with like a simple lesson, like you got to almost feel, feel those things and work through those things. And sometimes I guess I'm just a slow learner with that stuff. So. It's all good, man. And then, tw- well, 2018, it looks like some learning had gone on, right? Because certainly on paper, that looks like a pretty incredible year. It opened with a 30th place at Lozenge. That must have felt pretty nice. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. But again, so I switched back. I went back to Gabe and Nigel and all those boys kind of thing. I, was, I wasn't I was on the Canyon team, but I was kind of racing out of the back of it, almost identical to how I did it that junior year, where if I broke something, I could run over there. And if they had a spare part, they'd kick me apart kind of thing. Like it was kind of all I needed to make sure my bike was good. Um, but yeah, just I something clicked where I just like, I'm again, I went back to that self-belief where like, you know what, like, I think I can do this. I'm going to believe more in myself. Like I spent so many years like working hard at this and I just kind of, yeah, it, it was the same idea with that, with that junior year, just the, the results kind of just kept mounting a little bit each race. And it felt, felt like a, a natural progression where I could build off of it instead of 
instead of kind of getting so worked up about a bad result, I just let those ones go. And I found that like every good result, I was like, you know what? Like, Hey, like I, I can do this. And it was just, yeah, confirm it. Good work, man. And, uh, 19th at world champs as well. It was Lenza hide that year. Yeah. That's, you know, when you're putting down a run like that at world champs, you've got to start feeling like you're moving in a super good direction. Yeah. Oh, I was that whole winter. I was on a high. I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm ready for this. And then in that year, that winter, it kind of, I got onto the full Canyon factory team and that was a whole other step up. Like I was ready to take on this like whole other, like be, have that full support, believe in myself. And again, with people who have always supported me and helped me get to where I'm going. And it was really cool. And I think like we did a lot of preseason testing and that was going good off the winter, but Coming into that year, I actually got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. So uh-huh. my it kind of it basically it causes inflammation in your joints. So I got it really bad in my wrists and my hands. Which and when you start that, when you get diagnosed with that, you have to start medications, and it's not one medication doesn't work for everyone. You kind of got to find your one. So I was super annoyed because I think at that first at Maribor, I actually in qualies, I didn't I ate, I crashed in qualies, but my splits up until I crashed were like top five and then I crashed and then my bottom split was like top five or top 10. So I like in elite. So I was like, Oh, like, but at that point I wasn't feeling so much of the rheumatoid arthritis. So it was, that was a bit of a challenging year for me just to like finally get that opportunity, but then have my body kind of step in the way of like get in the way of myself kind of thing. Like, uh-huh. And I mean, that, that became the story for the next little while, but I think like it was, that was, that was a really challenging and like emotional year for me. Cause I was like, I knew I could do it and all the preseason stuff we did with testing and it all built so well. And then all of a sudden, like now it's really hard to hold onto the bike and it's painful. And it, it was kind of like, I really have to manage, like, I don't know when you're trying to ride a bike, if you have a pain, if you feel a pain, you almost pull away. And like if my, both my hands were hurting at the time. So it got really challenging and yeah, it wasn't, wasn't fun. <laughs> that, yeah, some well, of the races were not that fun. Yeah. Well, that's rough. Cause like you say, that's the, that's the big opportunity, I guess, isn't it? That's your, your big factory deal. Yeah. Well, that, that that's a, like a, all the kids, that's what you were, that's what you dream of as a kid. Like, oh, the semi truck, you get to play Xbox in the back. Like you're, <laughs> you're just, you're being a kid and you're just riding bikes and you know, like I was, I think I was pretty humble, but like you get, you get it all done for you, which is, it takes that, that whole pressure of does my bike ready? is this ready? Like you, you get, you get the bike, you get the food, you just, you show up, it's all there. And that, when I realized I was ready for that and deserved that, that was insane. But then to have my body be so limiting, it, 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 yeah, it also created so much frustration and resentment that like, like, why am I, why is this so hard right now? Like, this is my moment kind of thing. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a hard emotional year for me. Cause like, again, like, I believed I could, but like couldn't. And when you keep not doing it, it almost, it reinforces that negative thought. Mm. Yeah, definitely. How long did it take to get that under control with medication then? How far through yeah, the season so, was it? Oh, I didn't get it until the fall. Like I, okay. it's it just cause you, the way in Canada it works is you have to try all these different medications before you get approved for a really effective one. So yeah, it, it's like three months on one, three months on the next. And you have to do at least three of them, I think, or something. So I, I didn't even, I didn't get it till like the middle of the winter kind of thing. This it's yeah. called a biologic, but, um, yeah. So it, it was, yeah, super frustrating that year. All in yeah. All. That's rough, man. And then 2020 obviously got that all under control, getting everything back going. And then you had a, 
a, maybe a bit of a freak crash or what was it that actually happened? Yeah, it was, I hate, I hate that day. Cause I, it wasn't, I don't think it would have been avoided. Like maybe it was avoidable, but it was like, it was the first run, beautiful, sunny May day. Like we're just riding and it was a trail we've ridden like hundreds of times, like nothing really different. And just, yeah, just hit the jump kind of the wrong way. And got a little like bucked forward and then just ended up hitting a tree, but I hit the tree so hard that with my knee, like straight on that it it broke my femur, my femur and then shattered my hip. So it was kind of like, it wasn't that it wasn't a fun one. And just like it was COVID. So I was kind of like, you know what, like if I'm going to break my leg, it's probably a good time to do it just because yeah, no one's really racing. So if I'm, if I miss a couple months here, it's it's not going to be in the world. Yeah, that's a f- one way to look at it, I guess. But that's yeah. a huge injury. Like, what what was the doctor's view on it? Because it was a pretty it was a pretty bad break, right? Yeah, I think the first thing the doctor said is he came in. He said, "I looked at your X ray, and if you weren't dressed in mountain bike clothes, I I think it looks like you would have been shot with a bullet. Like the thing was in like <laughs> my femur was in like a thousand pieces, and like it was a really bad break. And he was nervous just because when it's that broken, they worry about like non union, so like the bone doesn't connect, which is. Mm-hmm but you can't, you can't really do anything. That's just, if it heals, it heals kind of thing. So yeah, it, it sucked. And that was my first injury where I was fully on the couch, couldn't move, couldn't, couldn't do anything. It was just physio and yeah, like really. And because I hit my knee so hard, I couldn't bend my leg for like a couple of weeks. So like very like peg leg, you're not walking, but like you, you were extra, I extra, it hurt a lot to move. Uh-huh. So that was hard, but like I got soon as I could, I like at a month and a half, I was back road riding. Like, I think, I think I was still on crutches, but I figured like if I could, if I could ride on my trainer, I could ride on my road bike, but I don't mess it up. So I was like, I'm going to go road riding. because I just want to be outside. <laughs> so I think like one leg's way bigger than the other, but I was like, I'm just going to put miles in cause this will help. So I, I tried, like I'd come home with my crutches, like outside the door, get off my road bike and then hop back on my crutches. Cause I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be full weight bearing yet. So I kind of, yeah, I wanted to get back and then yeah, three months, I think from from the break I was riding downhill again and it was kind of, I don't know. I, for some reason I, my body seems to kind of can heal pretty quickly. So I, I just, I'm grateful for that, but yeah, I found a way to get back to it. And I had, I'd say like it, it wasn't a hundred, a hundred percent till about a year later, but I'd say okay. it was about 90% at like maybe six months. Like there's just weird. You have random aches and pains kind of thing just cause the bone's still doing a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it got, it got better pretty quickly. Cause I think yeah. for some people that's a, that will end you. That's impressive, man. And you tried to get ready for world champs, right? There was a hope of getting there. Am I, am I right in thinking you actually managed to break some of the hardware that was inside yeah, your body? Yeah. So, yeah. So I was like, that was the goal. I was like, you know what, if I can go to worlds, I'll go to worlds. Maybe it was better. I didn't go to worlds cause I think it was snowing and <laughs> yeah, one of the muddiest races that might not have been that fun, but yeah, I, I went riding and I ended up the way it is, it's this huge metal rod that goes down your femur and they, they kind of put two screws in at the top and the bottom. So I guess at some point I had snapped the bottom screw. So it went from completely flat to kind of V'd out, which meant the head of the screw was sticking out, like not flat with my bone. It was catching uh-huh. on the tendons. So it kind of started getting annoying and I was like, oh, well, maybe we should take it out. And then we took it out. But what that did though, is when that broke, it allowed the bone to get a little closer uh-huh. and that, that caused a lot more healing as in, uh, in okay. turn. So like I had this knee discomfort for a bit and I was like, that's weird. Maybe it's just part of it. But then all of a sudden my legs started healing like crazy. And the doctor's like, Oh, 
that's probably that screw is probably catching. We should take it out. And then that that was a fine surgery. You just you they just unscrew it from your leg, yeah. and then yeah, but yeah, amazing. So breaking that screw was probably a good thing then. I think yeah, because like they were there was a moment where they were like, we're not sure it's it's not healing really quick, and yeah, but basically if the bones sit because it was so broken, they had to kind of place it as close as they could without like shortening my leg. Yeah. So I think when it when the screw broke, it gave it just that whatever a couple mil where the bones were actually because you need a bit of vibration for those bones to heal. They got to like yeah, they yeah. got to touch each other and that that the vibration actually causes them to heal. So yeah, I think that helped me get underway. And then yeah, so maybe it was a blessing that I <laughs> I broke it. Otherwise, I don't know. If, I didn't feel it break. It wasn't like a holy cow. It was just at some point it broke. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So the doctor I, well, was a, a bit upset. He was, he was like, what the heck? Like, you're not even supposed <laughs> like, how did you do that? You're not supposed to put that much weight through it. So I was like, Oh, whoops. But yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I bet the doctors think you're uh, pretty unique. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quality. How, how did forbidden fit into all this then? Where did that uh, opportunity come about? Cause like you say, you've got this pre-existing relationship with Matty Dupel, who was the Kona manager when you were on Kona and now runs the the forbidden team but how did the opportunity come about to ride for them yeah so i i can't remember the day but it was probably it was in the fall of that when i broke my leg and owen owen pemberton who's the owner and designer at forbidden he he kind of had this long-term plan of he wanted to have a race team he's like i think he loves racing like he's he's really into building bikes but he also he wants to have a fast bike and a competitive bike so from yeah that year so i, I guess that was 2020 like we've been we've had this, the plan, like my, the reason I'm involved is so we could develop a downhill bike and have a proper race team. So we've been working on that bike for a while now. And yeah, we, the first year was just me. I, I, we got a different bike and we just kind of figured out what we liked on it, what we didn't. And we, we did a bunch of testing with the current bikes to find kind of a combination of sizing that we felt would be like best for a downhill bike. So mm-hmm. that first year, with forbidden was just supposed to be like i'll go to some races just to kind of stay sharp but it's not the whole focus the focus is to help develop the bike and then yeah so that was that was always the intention and i think i was going to go race some enduros and stuff if i felt like it because at the time they had the enduro team set up um yeah and then basically through through that whole year like through uh 2021 i we started getting more serious about the downhill bike because we we started getting the designs and we're like, okay, like we're going to, we're going to be able to go racing. And then I was kind of trying to, f- I was thinking about who would be sweet to run the team because at the time we just, we were kind of, it was a pretty loose program that was getting to the EWSs. So it worked, but it was a bit, I think there was some, some hang up sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I knew that Con- like Connor and Maddie, like Kona wasn't going to be continuing their team. So I was like, you know what? Like I'm a big fan of Connor, big fan of Maddie and Ant-Man too. Like maybe this could work. Like, so I had to, I had to kind of pitch it to Owen and see what he thought and then yeah it ended up it's been sweet and maddie's maddie's awesome he's he's kind of like a dad father figure to all us kids kind of thing keeping us in line but it's great it's like i think i think the way we have it is sweet and it's it's obviously not a semi-truck team but in a lot of ways that removes so many stressors like it's it's simple it's a single sprinter van it's just the guys kind of thing there's not a lot of you're not you're not keeping track of 15 people it's just four or five of us kind of thing so it's good. Yeah. No, I see. I didn't realize you were such a big part of putting that team together. That's, that's cool to hear, man. Yeah, no, I, I think I just, I, I knew the people and I knew people want, like Maddie wanted to keep racing and Connor wanted to keep racing. So I was like, oh, this is, maybe we can make this kind of all come together. 
for the benefit of everyone. Cause yeah, I, I, I think at the time it was just, I wanted to make sure the team was like ran properly as a team and Maddie's Maddie's been racing and running teams and being a mechanic for years. So it just seemed to make sense. Definitely. Definitely. And, um, so you're back on the bike, you've kind of got through that femur and hip injury getting back up to speed, but it, unfortunately it wasn't that long again before the process kind of got derailed and talk us through like what was going on how you felt and, and how we eventually got to the diagnosis that you had. Yeah. So I guess we can go back to kind of that fall and I started, yes, got the new, got the forbidden bikes, got, got the other down the bike we were riding and we were kind of just, I was going through it and I was like, man, like I'm always, I'm always so tired. And like, but I was like, you know what? Like I haven't, my, my leg was broken and I have to just get fit. And you, you know, I was 20, 22 or 23 at the time. Like it is just like, you're, you're an athlete. You should train harder, be stronger. Um, so yeah, I always it just never felt like I could be rested though, which was interesting. So I like, I'd train really hard. I wouldn't be rested. So I'll, yeah, I'll rest. And then I wouldn't train hard and I'd be exhausted still. And I'd be like, okay, well I need to train more because, and it kind of cycled like that where I just like, you know, like I'm not going to assume, oh, Hey, I have cancer, but as a kid, like you just don't. So it, it was kind of a hard one mentally to like, to get to the point where or like for, to manage that, like how, what, what, what do you blame it on or what do you work on when it all yeah. kind of feels exhausting? Um, and yeah, I ended up, yeah, went to the, went to that first world cup at Leo gang that year and did the Innsbruck race and like, same thing, just like felt, felt exhausted and tired and then came home and all of a sudden, like my lymph nodes started kind of swelling. And I think just with all the shots that were happening, like the like that's part of the 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 way the shots work is they they kind of fire your immune system up mm-hmm. but i think that was for me that was overdoing my immune system even more when it was already strained with the lymphoma that was growing because lymphoma isn't a quick one it it's it's working away and growing so i think yeah it just got to the point where it kind of my body was way too overwhelmed with everything and then all of a sudden my like yeah my neck swole out like past my ear kind of thing my like I had all these, like you could almost, you could like see these little lymph nodes all swollen across my chest and it was scary. And like, it's kind of funny cause you think like, oh, you think you have cancer, you're going to the hospital, you, you, you have cancer and they tell you right away. But it was like two or three weeks of like tests and like biopsies and stuff to try to figure things out. And yeah, it was scary. And, but then at the same, the flip side, it was this huge relief, like now okay like actually there was something really wrong and it, uh-huh. it wasn't me it wasn't my choices like it was this thing inside of me that i had n- absolutely no idea was there and wouldn't have thought that like i'm a kid kind of thing like there's no way i had cancer so to get that was like it was reassuring that like okay like it i don't know because you get so hard on yourself like everyone wants to do well and that was that was a very challenging kind of year for me there where i could never feel like i got ahead yeah, definitely. What so what kind of information do you get from the doctors then at that point? Because it was so it's type three Hodgkin's lymphoma, right? Yeah, was stage three. So basically the stage stages three. go like if you have stage one, it's just a single spot. Like one spot uh-huh. on your body has cancer. Stage two is like one area, so maybe like just your chest. Stage three is like above and below your diaphragm. It's so like almost like whole body. Okay. And then stage four is it's gone from one place to another, like it's multiple organs okay. are involved. So I had stage three. So I had, I had a lot of stuff in my neck and my chest and lots in my hip. So like, and they're a little bit worried about the hip because hip can be bone marrow. And if your bone marrow has cancer, that's a, that's a huge problem. Okay. So yeah, but it was kind of, they just, it's just lots of tests. Like they got a, 
and and just like they just manage your manage your pain with like opioids like they just it was just tons of morphine like try to be comfortable but you're gonna have to wait like we can't they can't give you steroids to help with the the swelling of it all they have to just you just take pain meds and that was awful because like i'd go to sleep for four hours wake up like drenching night sweats like my just hurting take more drugs like go back to bed for like it was every four hours i have to take drugs but like i almost couldn't move because it was so painful and it was just like it was just off it was an awful couple of weeks just like uh-huh. waiting for like the inevitable because i think if I, I remember thinking like if i was a caveman like i would have just ripped this like it was to the <laughs> point where i was like i would have just ripped whatever was in my neck out like it was so painful that like i wanted it out of my body and i think like it's it i don't feel that very often where i'm like this pain is so uncomfortable. I just want to remove it, but it, it was scary. It was definitely scary those couple of weeks, but it was almost, it almost made the, the fact of it when I got told I had cancer a little bit easier. Cause I was like, okay, like if this isn't cancer, then I don't know what the, like, I'm scared if I, when I do have to have cancer, cause this is about as gnarly as it's going to get kind of thing. Yeah, it sounds horrific. So mm-hmm. what, when, when you finally get that diagnosis then, do they give you like an indication of, like the survivability of it, I guess. Like Yeah. So lymphoma, the, the so I have Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is it's a gooder, it's a better cancer to get. Uh-huh. You're gonna choose if you got a catalog out there and you gotta pick. <laughs> but um but basically the way it works is it goes from one lymph node to the next, but it, it works through the whole lymph system before it would go to another organ. Okay. So people with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, they can have lymphoma in the lymph nodes and then all of a sudden it'll go to your spleen or your kidneys. And that's where it becomes really dangerous. And then also with the Hodgkin's lymphoma, it has a really high cure rate or remission rate. Uh Um, So it was kind of like, I was like, okay, well, it's not like I have 10%. I think it was like 70% 70 that that first rounds of chemo would be effective in putting it into remission. Like I was like, okay, well, that's that's way more than half and you can't can't really complain. So yeah, so it it wasn't like... It wasn't like I'm going to die, but obviously like you, it's cancer. And as like, before you really understand it and before I looked into it, it's terrifying. Like you, no one wants to say like, I have cancer and like, we're not treating it. Like you feel so helpless. So yeah. Yeah. You suddenly feel very mortal, I guess at that point. Oh, well, yeah. Like it now, now your life is still like the idea of mortality is there. Like you, I think we live our lives ignorant to the fact we're going to die. And I think there's, I love doing that. Like when you live, not (laughs) scared of death, you're living, you're having a lot of fun with it, but now you have cancer and it's just cancer is death. Like it's one or the other, you live or die. And it, it almost, it feels super 50, 50, but like it, obviously in my case, it was a little bit better, but yeah, still just, yeah, very, you just have to like, as a kid, I think that's one of the hardest parts is like, I'm, I was, yeah, 20, 23 years old. So it's like, I haven't lived a life and lost people. I haven't lost that many people. I haven't had people go through cancer where, so I just, I feel for kids. I still feel for older people who get cancer, but I like having been a kid and not being equipped with a life of like learning how to deal with this sort of thing. I think I realized early on that that was the case and I needed to learn, but like, mm-hmm. I think I, I have so much compassion for these kids, like especially younger kids than me, like they have no idea. And like, whether they know death or not, like they're, they have to accept that it's there. And like, how do you even tell a kid that? Like it, I don't know. It, it made me appreciate like, yeah, children's cancer. Like, I don't know. Like you don't think it, it's so sad. It's not, it's not like yeah. a, 
unfortunate thing. It's like they have no idea that they have this thing in them, really. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, it's completely brutal, isn't it? So we get we get through the diagnosis. You've had that couple of horrific weeks. What happens next? Are you basically straight into a chemo program at that point? Yeah, they try to get you in as quick as you can, but they like they do some of these things called PET scans, and basically they they put like a radioactive sugar because cancer loves sugar. So uh-huh. you fast and you go take this sugar, this IV sugar thing, and it goes to wherever the cancer is. And then you hop in the machine and it'll show like, oh, this is where it's consuming a ton of sugar, which is indicative of cancer. Um, so I do that. And then as soon as you do that, you start that way you have like a baseline, like this is what I looked like day one. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, so then the whole, the plan was, was six months of chemo and that, and that was like, yeah, 80, 70 or 80% it would be, it'd be done after that. So I was kind of, I had a really good reaction to it in like the first, you do a, you do a scan at three months and the scan at three months was good, but it didn't get everything, which is, that's fine. Cause I still had three months. Like it I had a a huge reduction in the cancer and then, yeah. And then got to that six months and in my head I was, I did it. I'm done. Like I felt good. I, and, and, and as, as I've shared online, like I think the first week I rode, first week of chemo I ever had, I, I rode 130K on my road bike. Like, I didn't stop. And, like, I, as soon as I realized, like, oh, I can go ride downhill. And, like, riding downhill bikes is actually easier than road riding and trail riding. And I can have just <laughs> as much fun. I was riding downhill every single weekend of chemo. I was, like, I just went for it. And then, also, when I got halfway through, I was, like, you know what? Like, if I finish my chemo in January, I can still get strong and fit for that race season in April. So, I'm going to start training now. Like. I'm going to have to take a week off of just recover from the chemos every two weeks because sorry, they got the chemos were twice, twice a month. So Uh I'd have a week where I'd just lay on the couch, rest. And then I'd have a week where I'd almost train like normal ride downhill bikes and like be normal. And I just, I did that for six months. And like, so I think in my head, I'd put so much energy and like, I had so much belief, like I'm going to beat this. There's no way I could be doing what I'm doing if I haven't beat this. And then I got to that day, like in whatever, in January, February. And then I got told I, I didn't beat that. And it was just like, yeah, demoralized. Like I had so much expectation that I was done just based on how I was feeling and what I was doing that it was, yeah, so devastating to have to, to almost go through it. Like it was worse than the cancer diagnosis. Cause like having, having feel like you've gone through it. Cause chemo is like the worst feeling thing in the world, I think you're like your body's killing itself or your body's dying from the inside out. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's weird because I haven't gone through that, having gone, worked hard to be like to maintain fitness and speed and everything. And then all of a sudden, Oh, like actually it's not done at all. And you're going to have to go do a stem cell transplant. It was like, what? Like I wasn't, wasn't ready for that at all. No, that's very understandable, man. So through that like first phase of chemo, what did you do like personally? Cause obviously you're getting some support from the healthcare providers, the doctors, the nurses, everyone around you there, but did you go away yourself and kind of, you know, research the hell out of this thing and try and work out, well, what else can I do? Like, because yeah. there's other things that people seem to, to get involved with and get stuck into to try and give their body like the best possible chance of, of getting rid of it. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of my, a lot of my health hinged on like, doing things that made me feel healthy like uh-huh. through that time like i worked with this this group of people the dragonfly earth medicine they're a bc they're kind of a group of people in bc who just they they help people out and they do a lot of like holistic healing 
Um, I worked with them a lot and it was just one of the things I realized quickly with them was just like, I have to do these things that make me feel healthy. Like riding my bike. I don't think I have, can- like I, you don't have time to worry about cancer when you're riding. It's, it's brilliant. So I'd, I'd ride as much as I could, as long as I didn't get tired, I'd rest. I'd like, it's just a lot of mind, like a lot of things. I don't, at that, at that point, I didn't take on a ton of like these extreme, like, or that, I didn't take on these outside ideas at that point of how to like take it. I was very much just doing the traditional or conventional treatment. Yeah. I, was, I was eating way, like I, my diet was bad. wasn't great before. Like I wasn't, I wasn't as on it. But uh-huh. each month kind of thing, I'd try to, I'd try to remove something that wasn't good for me. And I kind of, by the end of it, I was eating super good and it wasn't like, it wasn't like I just hopped on to like super good diet, but by the end I'm eating lots of vegetables, really clean meat, like low grains, no sugars. And like, I made a big change slowly through that, but like, it wasn't like I was, I wasn't doing anything too crazy through that first, first set of chemos that I had to do just cause uh-huh. I don't know. I felt like, yeah, 70%, 80%, like, oh, okay. Like it's probably good. Like I'm, I'm a young kid. Like the, that demographic is like every person from zero to a hundred years old. So, you know, like 20 year old athlete, like I'm, I'm probably that 80% was my kind of thing. So I didn't, I worked hard as fuck, but I didn't feel like I was, I didn't, I didn't feel ready to, to go even further at that point because yeah, yeah, it just, you know, I was, I was doing what I, the best I could. And I felt like, yeah, riding my bike and being healthy alone, like people don't usually do that going through chemo. So I'm probably still doing something right. So yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. How was your mental health through that through that first phase of chemo? Then it sounds like it was maybe quite good, given everything you were managing to achieve. And yeah, I mean, I, I, well, it was. I think the first half of that six months was awful. Like, it was depressing. It was like, it wasn't until I realized, like, I can probably, like, I need to figure out how much energy I have in that two week cycle. Uh-huh. But as soon as I figured that out, I was like, you know what? Like I can ride a bike, I can train, I can do, I can live life normal, but there's going to be like four or five days where I'm a cancer patient. But like those other days, like I'm Magnus and I'm living my life. Cause I, I, if, if this is going to kill me, I don't have time to lay on the couch for two weeks. I'm going to, I gotta, I gotta go do, I gotta ride. I gotta have some fun. Cause like, what, yeah, what's the point of sitting around? Definitely. You made some, you made some tricky decisions on where to focus your energy, right? You stepped away from school at that point to, cause that was another energy usage that you felt wasn't necessarily the right thing. Yeah, no, I've, I've been doing school just in the fall terms, like that's cool. The local university here, they let you do just like just the fall if you want. So I was doing the fall terms every year for the past, however, since I graduated chipping away at it. And I just, I realized like, okay, like I do, a, I do chemo and then I'm, I'm messed up for a week. Like you can't, you, it's like chemo fog is what they call it. And you like, you can't think straight. You're forgetting things. You just get headache. Like it feels awful. So I'm not doing school through that obviously. And then by the time I feel good, I'm like, I want to go be active. Cause if I stay active, I'll, I'll be active when I come out. But now I have two weeks of school that I have to do in one week. <laughs> and then it was getting stressed out. And I was like, Went to my parents because they 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 like me to continue school if I can continue school because mountain biking is not forever unfortunately. But I was like, hey, like I think this is too much. Like, are you if I just do if I just stay healthy? And I think of all the years to do it, it's probably this year or that like these years. Like, I don't need. It's probably better I stay healthy than to to get a couple more courses on my on my transcript kind of thing. So yeah, just step stepped away and like really just it did become like managing energy, but I, I learned quickly, like, okay, I can go for, I can go do eight laps and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to sleep. Or I'm going to lay on the couch. I'm like, 
I, I very much knew what I, what I could do and I'd maximize it to what I wanted to do as the best I could. Cause yeah, it, it just, it all of a sudden creates this like finite number. Cause a lot of people, I think a lot of people are lazy sometimes and they, they don't do as much as they possibly can do. But when you have only like three hours of activity in you, like you got a lot of day, you got to fit in that three hours. So if you spend it doing a bunch of stuff you don't really care about, then you've wasted it. Cause now, Oh, you can't actually go ride cause you're exhausted. Whereas like, okay, I feel it. I'm going to go ride and then I'm going to do nothing. And I'm going to make sure I'll set some time aside to deal with the other stuff, but I, I made sure to use my energy as best I could. Yeah. And you're an athlete though. So, you know, I've met a lot of athletes doing this over the last five years and they're very, very driven individuals and they, they seem to like to keep themselves pretty busy. Was it, was it hard to kind of maybe turn some of that off a bit and go a bit easier on yourself and allow yourself to literally just lie on the couch sometimes and like take that rest? Yeah. No, you're, you're, yeah. You're, you know exactly what I'm thinking. Like, yeah, it was, <laughs> that was the hardest thing. Like I had never, as a kid, it was just go, 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 go. And I think we're all like that. Like you don't know it until you start seeing your limitations, but I had never been okay with giving myself that time to like really rest, like to properly, this is like me resting, sitting still, like being okay with being okay with me sitting still being okay with me taking a day off. Cause I didn't feel it. And like in that first three months, like I had to, because I was just scared. I, I was going to hurt myself. If I did too much exercise, it was going to be negative. But then all of a sudden the doctors are like, yeah, do as much as you can. If you feel it, don't crash. Cause we can't do surgery. So it was that kind of thing. But then as soon as I realized it, yeah, I was like, yeah, like I have to rest. And now, now more so than ever, I know like I'm, I'm getting my sleep. Like I'm not, I couldn't, couldn't, if I'm, unless there's some very special event, I'm not staying up late. I'm going to bed. I'm getting my rest. I'm making sure I leave days where I'm resting. Like it's, it's so much more part of my life now. And I just, I don't know if I ever would have gotten there without having, having put my energy into this finite amount. Yeah. Smart move, man. Not easy, but sounds like you were doing all the right things. So, and like you say, you came out of that period of, of chemo. You had that scan in January, I think end of January, where you, I think, felt like it was gone. You felt good. You felt ready to go again. And you got that news that it, it was still there. What, what's the prognosis then? Like, how do things change and, and how does it progress from there? Yeah, so I think it goes, then it goes to like 50 or 60% if the stem cell transplant works. Like, it, uh -huh. it drops and like, and just a stem cell transplant brings on all kinds of other, like, Stem cell transplant is like the real deal. So it, 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 you kill your entire immune system. You like, you kill all your bone marrow. It's basically just like ripping your insides out and then giving you stem cells. Cause the stem cells are like the building block of the whole body. So they can mm -hmm. become any cell. So then they go in and they become bone marrow and the bone marrow becomes immune system and red blood. And it, it kind of restarts it from the inside out. So that's, that's like, then, then there's, there can be complications from that. Cause that's a, that's a very huge like thing to go through. So uh -huh. I think, but in coming into that, you have to do a number of chemos, like they're called conditioning chemos and they just try to, they try to kill as much of the disease as they can before you go in that way. Hopefully it's the chemo that you do for the transplant is just killing your body, like killing mm -hmm. your immune system and your bone marrow, not having to deal with any of the cancer as well. So for that set of chemos, I was like, okay, I'm going to throw, I'm going to do all the crazy stuff. Like we started doing, there's this thing called hyperthermia, which is like hyper is hot. So it, you basically this giant magnet and you lay on this water bed and it's got a magnet on your chest and it like, it heats your insides up. So they place it where some of the tumors are sitting 
Uh-huh. And what that does is it helps break them apart so that when I go get the next chemo, there's like openings in those proteins for the chemo to bond to and then help rip Whoa. the tumors. So uh-huh. that was that was kind of like we had, I did chemo and then I'd go in Victoria and then I'd go to Vancouver for a week and do these hyperthermia treatments. And then I was doing like you do cold showers because the cold, like the contrast therapy is supposed to be really good. I was sauning a ton just because it helps flush all the chemo out of you. Like, because I at that point, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm so over, like I gave six months to this. I don't want to give any more time. Yeah. I felt like I was good before and it clearly it wasn't. So I need to do just a little bit more. And I, I just threw everything I could think about it because, yeah, I was I'm, I was pretty ready for it to be done. Where do you get the information from then for all that? Like, how do you decide what your program looks like? Because I'm guessing not all of that's coming from like the standard healthcare. Yeah. Right? So yeah, a lot of like working with naturopaths and like people who have experience working with cancer outside of just the conventional treatment. I think there's kind of a split and you like people who are willing to take on responsibility for their treatment. Like, I think that like there's two groups of people. There's people who just are going to just do a, B, and C, the doctor prescribes. And then yeah. there's people who are going to say, okay, A, B, A, and B work, but C really doesn't work for me. I need another alternative. And it just kind of got to the point like, hey, I need to like, I need to make sure this is working for me and just go through and do like, yeah, do as much as I can. And it's working with naturopaths and you do the hyperthermia with the naturopath clinic and then it starts going out of the conventional, but they're like, you know, like the conventional doctors are like, yeah, like we, we can't say anything. It's not good or bad. Like, but we can't tell you to go do it because it's not part of our protocol. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I think, I think if anyone does get cancer, if anyone's listening and they get it, like, I think it's, it's important to like really look at what more can you do? Cause in my case, I felt like it, it gives you that power. Like you're not, you're not just doing reading from the list that someone gave you, like you're picking what actually makes sense for you and doing it. And now instead of just you showing up at the clinic every two weeks, you're going home, you're doing the work. And if it, if it inherently is good for you, like you're actually getting further forward, which I think I understand why you don't want to take that on. Cause it's a scary thing, but also nowadays there's so much resource and information to find. Like you can go read full like studies and you, there's a lot, so much information that like I, you can be pretty safe looking into these alternatives if they feel right for you but for me it made sense yeah for sure what about things like diet you said you'd already kind of improved your diet quite a bit As, did that take another step up like how are you looking at things like sleep i don't know meditation breath work there's loads of like holistic stuff that people can use i guess to just get their body in the best possible state yeah. Well, I think it's just a lot of acceptance. Like I did a lot of meditating. I spent a lot of time with the dragonfly earth medicine people and like just working through a lot of these like fears and thoughts of like, yeah, like what if it doesn't go right? What if it does go right? Like actually really accepting what that means for me. And like it, you just have to man, like you have to be peaceful. And like at the end of the day, like when you feel depressed, you like, it's, I think it's a proven thing. And you get, you get, you can get more sick if you're feeling super upset all the time. So it's like, yeah, it's that idea of trying to, to find that peace and like accept it. And yeah, it's not easy. Cause now you have to face okay, like, what if I die? Like how, what does that mean? Why am I scared of that? Like working through all these super dark thoughts, but with behind all those thoughts is actually so much more peace, but it's like, you have to start that conversation to even have the opportunity to feel better about it, which is the hardest part. It's like, I don't want to think about dying, but like, when you're facing cancer, it's all, it's pressing against you. And until you talk about it, it doesn't go away. So I think coming into that stem cell transplant, I just didn't want to carry 
anything that I didn't need to carry in there. Like, I want to be okay if this goes good. I want to be okay. Mentally, I want to be okay if this goes good. I want to be okay if this goes bad. I want to be okay if I don't make it out of there. I want to be okay if I get out of there super quickly. Like, I just, Mm -hmm. I, I'd really tried to think and understand all of the outcomes that way. Hopefully in that moment, there wouldn't be so much emotion to like pull me up or down or pull me from the path of the things that I needed to do to feel like I was doing the best I could. Yeah. Do you feel like you managed to get to a place where you were okay with it not going well? Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like, I think that's like the greatest lesson. Like I know some people, some people may hate cancer and what it brings but i think for someone to go through it and once they go through it like it's so much enlightenment because like how do you what can be worse than your body dying like so i felt i like it sounds dramatic but like laying in the hospital bed at the transplant like i felt my body like so close like i couldn't i felt like i couldn't move i felt like i didn't have the energy like keeping my eyes open was hard like things that i've just never felt in like call it a sober state like you you just like you don't feel those things so raw and like Mm -hmm. i imagine the way my body what my body was going through like that is as close to dying as i'm ever going to get hopefully that without without actually dying yeah yeah, without actually dying that like okay well now like i i went through it it was scary but like i know how much it takes like it's not like i'm gonna i'm gonna break my leg and i'm gonna die it's like i I could probably break my leg again and i'll be okay and like it's it, it is there's a certain enlightenment that's like that comes from this like horrible, horrible thing that I mean, some people will take that enlightenment. Some people will fight like everything about it and it's not going to be this peaceful thing. But for my, my journey through it was like, I am, I always just wanted to get something out of it, whether it went bad and I died. Like I knew that if I could go through it and do it and honor everything that I wanted to do while I did it, whether that was like continuing to meditate or journaling while I was going through the treatment or trying to just walk whatever 15 minutes a day while I was in there, like, these things that were so important to me at the time, if I could just keep doing that until I couldn't, if I got bad, then I'd, I'd be happy. Cause that's what was important was just like getting through that moment, like the way I wanted to. Amazing. How, how important was riding for you in kind of preparing and being ready for that stem cell transplant? Cause you managed to squeeze in a world cup and a South America trip. <laughs> it was like, when I got the bad news about the first time around, like when I got, they said I still had cancer. The first thing I asked was like, okay, there's a race in Costa Rica. Can I go? Like there's a race in Lords. Can I go? And they're like, well, you know, like most people are usually just resting, but like, we're not <laughs> going to start chemo for a couple of months. Cause you just came off. So if you want to go, you can, but like, just, you know, just be careful. And I was like, okay, I'm go. I booked the flights that night. I got, I went home. <laughs> I, I was crying. I was super upset, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to Costa Rica and I'm racing because I need points for that World Cup. I don't want to be B practice. So went to Costa Rica. I did a couple of races. I did pretty good. And then, yeah. And then just the opportunity. And we did a checkup scan and they're like, yeah, the cancer is not doing too much right now. So if again, if you feel okay with this and you don't get sick, you don't get hurt, like do it. But like my doctor's super cool. He's like, he's, he's super into sports and he, he follows me on Instagram and he's, he's super into it, which I think some doctors, they're not, it's just, just patients, but he really cares. And it was cool to have him kind of like, he was stoked. He'd be so fired up about like, he'd laugh at the fact you're like, yeah, whatever you're going to race, but you know, most people <laughs> don't, but you're doing it. And I like that. So it, it was cool to have that kind of relationship with the doctor. And yeah, it just felt like, it just felt like I wanted, I wanted to qualify. So, so bad. Like it was, 
that would have been the most amazing thing in my life, I think, because that I knew what I was up against. And like, uh-huh. I didn't really want it to be the focus of why I was there, but I've wanted in my heart, I wanted to overcome that. Because again, like if I can qualify for a World Cup with cancer, I don't I don't know who's done that. Maybe maybe people have, but I don't know so much. I was pretty close. I was like a second off, I think. But it was it was still hard. And like the thing that limited me at that race, like I got halfway down and I started getting really tired. So, okay, I can't be too, too mad about that because, you know, I just finished chemo and I still have cancer. So like in retrospect, that's probably still one of my, like, I'm so proud of myself for even showing up and like being there and, and managing all the thoughts. Like it wasn't, it wasn't easy mentally because yeah, now you have to think about, okay, like I, I have cancer. This isn't, this isn't the golden Magnus showing up doing his best. This is like me trying to get by in the worst imaginable way and i was still yeah i got there I'd, i would have loved to just rate like if i got 60th place and finished 60th like <laughs> i would have been over the moon but i mean that's just the way it goes but there's a really really competitive these days so yeah, yeah what was the riding you know, what was the response like from other riders because I, th- I think you've been pretty open about where you are at like i think you'd spoken about it on instagram like that you knew that yeah. the cancer hadn't gone away but you know you were going to be going into this transplant what what was the support like from from the rest of the field well i think yeah at at that point i hadn't announced it publicly because i just i didn't want to have to talk about it okay so i almost i left it a little bit vague just because yeah i didn't want to i didn't want that to be the conversation while i was racing because i think Uh that's that's a hard conversation as it is um but 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 the people who did know were were like like connor was just like yeah like he when I was upset that I didn't qualify, he was just like, just, yeah, stop being upset. Like you're fuck, you, you're here. Like you're standing here in Lords, like after a qualifying run, like, <laughs> yeah, like it, it was the people who knew were like very proud. And I, that, that meant a lot to me. Cause yeah, that was, that was a hard, hard moment for me, hard day, like hard week, like physically and mentally, like it was showing up and, and like traveling over there was like, that was exhausting. And, all these like you you know we're coming from north america so it's like it's a day of travel you don't sleep much and that kind of throws off all the all the like kind of prep you're trying to do so yeah yeah i don't i, I can't even contemplate it like i'm bad enough after a transatlantic flight as it is but <laughs> doing what you did man is uh yeah i can't even get my head around it fair play so yeah mm-hmm. tell us about the so the stem, the stem cell transplant like you say you go through this huge chunk of chemo i guess to kind of clear the cancer down as much as possible and then then you go through a round of chemo that's specifically there like like you say basically breaking you down from the inside yeah getting rid of your like, immune system your bone marrow the whole thing right yeah so when you get in there you're there for a day or two and then they they basically give you chemo like three times a day for five days so like uh-huh. you get it when you wake up you get it in the middle of the day and like i'm basically falling asleep and they come and hook up the chemo and then you fall asleep and it, that's like that, that was relentless. Cause like, you just, you just, you can't get away from it. Like every, like every six hours kind of thing, you got another bag of chemo going in. And then on the last day they give you the gnarliest one that they can. And that, that like kicks you in the nuts. Like you're, you're ruined after that. But I think I was lucky. Like the whole, every chemo I've ever done, like I've in the past year, I've puked twice once from Chinese food, like food poisoning, <laughs> like fully food poisoning, like after I finished chemos the first time. And then once when I was doing my stem cell transplant, wow, I think, fair play. 
I got a good gut because like I think a lot like they kept saying you're just gonna you're gonna start puking and once you start puking you're not gonna stop and like there's uh-huh. just one night I think it was some from something I ate because I puked I puked out whatever I was in there and then I I was fine so but yeah it was it was hard and like again like I just got to the point where like breakfast took me two hours to eat like I I had I had two boiled eggs and two pieces of toast and like I'd I'd say okay I'm gonna finish the egg by nine o'clock I'm gonna finish the toast by ten o'clock and like that was good like if I could do that. Cause you don't want to eat your whole stomach lining gets ripped apart. Like, yeah, it's awful. It's really, really awful. And then, but then on the last of those, of that, that week of chemo, then you, on the last day you get your stem cells back. Mm-hmm. So it's basically you, I went and collected them a little while before they take them out of my own body and then they put them back in and yeah. basically, and then it's a super underwhelming thing. Like you get them back and then nothing changes. You still feel <laughs> awful. And, you, and then you have a week of feeling really awful. Like you just not no energy, no nothing. And then, and then it, all of a sudden it starts, you start seeing your blood work tick up because they like, they take your blood work every four hours. They, they keep checking it. But then, yeah, kind of about a week later, my blood work started ticking up and that's when you start feeling better. Cause all of a sudden now your immune system's kicking on uh-huh. your, your stomach lining is getting back there. And yeah, so it, it does happen quick and they were, they were super impressed because yeah, typically you're in the hospital for about a month and a half or two months, but I was out of there. I think I was only there for like 28 days or something. Like I was really, really quick. Like yeah. A week and a, a week and a half after my transplant, I was gone, which usually they're at least a month after. Amazing. And it was, it was kind of scary because like on the last day I was in the hospital, they didn't have enough room on the transplant floor. So they put me down into like internal medicine, which is basically like people with drug addictions and like like internal problems. So like uh-huh. beside every other room was like a cop, like just watching this person. And then on the doors was like no metal knives. Like I was in like sketchy <laughs> zone. I was like, holy fuck, I want to leave. Like I just had a <laughs> stem cell transplant and I'm with these people. I didn't leave my room, but yeah, it was, it was scary. But then, yeah, but I think the biggest thing with that, I was like, I, the, every single chemo I went to, I rode my bike to and from like, and I rode to that, that transplant and then my, my girlfriend brought the bike home. But then on the way home, I was on the, on the day I was going to leave, I was kind of sitting there like, I'm fucking tired, exhausted. Like I could barely walk like 30 minutes, like of mm-hmm. just walking back and forth in my room. And I was like, I don't know about this, but then just like looking out the window, it's a beautiful summer day. And I'm like, I'm going to be so mad if I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the car driving home on this day, like on, in this moment. And like, so I reached out to a buddy, Nick Geddes. So he, as a kid, he, he had leukemia and he had to get a bone marrow transplant. So super similar. So he, he was able to come like ride, ride home with me to my grandma's. It was like a 30 minute ride. And like, that was easily like the most, like that was the biggest release of everything. Like, I think if I wouldn't have done it, I would have like, I would have kind of done myself a disprivilege. Like I got to just like, feel alive i got to like i was yeah. shaky like i thought i was gonna crash like riding out of the parkade kind of thing like i <laughs> i had i barely been walking like but then as soon as i got going like 10 minutes in it was fine like my legs were shot like 15 minutes like my legs felt like i'd just done like 300k kind of thing <laughs> like but like i just like and then as soon as we got to the last hill you just rode all the way down the hill and coasted and it was like i couldn't stop crying like i was it was like the happiest moment because like through and through, I just, I did it the way I wanted to do it. And that was what was always so important to me. It was like, I'm not going to let this change who I am. Like uh-huh. I can deal with cancer, but I'm not Magnus who has cancer. I'm just a Magnus and I'm dealing with it. 
Yeah. And I think it was just so important to like hold that value close where this is, yeah, this is not me. This is just like something I'm dealing with and I'm going to continue to be me and I'm going to ride my bike. And yeah, it, it was, that was like, that was an unbelievable thing. I was like, I was fucked for like three days. Like I just, I laid on the, like, obviously I just laid on the couch. I played video games. I slept like 12 hours. Like I just didn't do anything, but it was, that was the biggest, biggest release of energy. Like I I'd had so much negative pent up that like now all of a sudden, like I can do this. Like I am in, I'm back in control. I'm not just getting drugs and chemo every day. Like I, yeah. I get to choose what I get to do. So that's amazing. Best bike ride ever. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Like I've never, I don't know. You you don't cry when you ride ever. Again, like you don't have time to think <laughs> about it. But like, I was just in tears. I was like, I couldn't believe I got to that moment because in my head that moment was so far away. Like at that that like through going through the thing, it was like I'm that's that ride's good. I'm, I want to do that ride, but that's that's so far away from where I am now. And then all of a sudden, I was there, and I was like, holy fuck! Like I did it, and I'm doing it the way I want to do it, and the way I said I was going to do it to myself and my family, like. It was, it was cool. Yeah, that is very cool, man. Good on you. So what's the kind of path been like since then? I'm, gla- I'm guessing it's a constant improvement over time. Like mm-hmm. everything, your body's just growing, getting everything back to how it should be and kind of rebooting properly, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, again, I talked to my doctors and they're like, yeah, like do as much as you can. Like there's no, don't, don't be scared to get your heart rate up. Don't, don't worry. Like don't get sick. Cause like right now I'm pretty immunocompromised just cause like mm-hmm. my body, I'm supposed to get every single vaccine I've ever gotten kind of thing. Like they, they want you to get back to safe kind of thing. So I'm, I'm being okay. pretty careful, but yeah, like I, it, again, it took me a while. Like I, the first few weeks I overdid it. Like I, I thought I could do, I got, I got home from Vancouver where I did the transplant and I think just changing location, I was like, okay, I'm better. And then I went for a hike and I was like ruined for like a couple weeks. And then I was like, okay, well, obviously I can't do that. Like, let's, let's actually start with like just around the block walks. And then like, well, around the block turned into like a couple times a day and turned into like going for bike rides. And like, it's a slow, the first few weeks were very slow, but now it's like every week I feel like I'm, I'm getting so much better now. And yeah, it was just kind of, yeah, it's just managing. Cause like all of a sudden, like you come out of the hospital and it's not like you have a broken leg or like you're actually physically limited, but like your cells don't work on like a cellular level, which I think like maybe people with some like chronic diseases would feel that, but like, I had never felt like I could, I could go ride a bike the same, but like, I don't could only do it for like five seconds. So it's like, it was this weird thing to understand, like for my brain to get like, Hey, you actually just have to do nothing. Like do, do very little because your body is not there yet. So Mm -hmm. it was this transition to like, yeah, really, really pacing it. And, but just very slowly incrementing. Cause if you stop pushing yourself when you're recovering, you, you'll plateau. That's something the doctor told me is like, it's just, just a little bit, like every week it should be a little bit harder yeah. until you get to the point where you feel like you were before and then you can probably let off. So it's just kind of adding, adding little things and like walking more and riding more and yeah. Good stuff. And when did you go for a scan? How long after the, 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 this like process do you go back in to get checked over? Yeah. I went in at like two and a half months. Um, just cause yeah, they, they felt like I was doing really well and like, mm-hmm. it's all good. And then, yeah, they just, I got the scan and it was I, again, like it was the same idea as the transplant. Like I just prepared myself like either way, like I'm not gonna, I had nothing planned past Wednesday at 10 AM of that week kind of thing. Like that appointment was all my life was 
that's all I could expect in my life was just that uh-huh. appointment and nothing else past it. As that day came, I got more and more nervous, but like it kind of like you just have to wait and like I, you have aches and pains as you get better. So I was like, fuck, is this like, is it cancer? Is it just like my body healing? Like, I don't know. And there's like, there's a lot of anxiety and fear there. But yeah, then the moment came and like, I didn't, that whole day again, was just weird. Like I had nothing planned. Like we didn't, we didn't plan for good or for worse, me and my family. So like I was cancer free. We just like, we just kind of hung out of the house all day and we just like, we're just happy and kind of walked the dogs and got food. And it, it wasn't like, it wasn't some spectacular big party. It was just like, okay, like we, we did it. And then it was like three days later, it finally like rushed off, rushed over me. Like I've, I've done this. Like, this is what I've been, this, this moment is what I've been dreaming of. Cause I think on that first time around when I got told I still had cancer, I'd, I would like, I was dreaming of that day of like having yeah. the doctor tell me your cancer's in remission. But then this time around, I didn't plan it. I didn't think about it. And then all of a sudden he said it and I was like, Oh, well, that's, that's kind of convenient. I get, <laughs> I get to have some fun now. It's not just treatments and stuff to look forward to. So it was really cool. Yeah. That's amazing news, man. What, what happens from here then? Do you have like periodic scans? So they keep an eye on you once you're in remission? Like how does that work? Yeah. So I think the, I'd, I'd done a lot of scans in the past year, just with like, just with the amount of treatment and stuff. So I think you don't want to do too many scans. Like it's, okay. it's radioactive stuff. So I think they're not they're not in a rush to do another scan like at this point there's there's no can like there's the scans are cancer free so yeah the doctor's kind of like yeah like we're just at this point we should just observe like if you feel things are off we can do a scan but we're not going to oh. push for one i think there's plans for one in the future but again he was just kind of like let's not plan for a scan yet just because in this moment if someone came in with the scan you just had they they wouldn't they'd leave without having any kind of care so we'll keep it with that. And yeah, just cause yeah, you don't want to, if you do too many of them, so that'll cause cancer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. kind of don't want to, don't want to overdo it. Cool. Sounds like they're, they're pretty confident that you're in a good spot then, which is awesome news, man. Yeah, no, I think it's fu- It's funny. Cause it's like, I think the idea of curing cancer is a bit funny. Cause you're not like and everyone, everyone can have some level of cancer. Like you, you might have it, like your friends might have it. Like it's just yeah. the cells not working right. And it's just at some point it becomes too much for the body to handle. Mm-hmm. So obviously I'm more prone to cancer as like my body wasn't able to handle it. So I, I think it's from all of it, I've just kind of taken it as like, I still have a lot of work and I have to maintain all of the like lifestyle changes and diet. Cause obviously I was doing something wrong. So through all this, I've kind of just learned like, yeah, I need to make some changes and like keep, keep doing what I'm doing. Cause I want to live a little longer and I want to do more things. So I, I don't think, yeah, cancer doesn't get cured, but it, it gets put into a spot where you get a second chance and you have to do it differently. I think. For sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you what stays out of all the things you've changed, like what, what things will be sticking with you? Yeah. Oh man. Like the, the diet with eating, like you just, you feel better when you eat like really holistic, like, like a lot of plants, like if it, if it's like, one stage past like from what it should have been like if if an apple is turned into like cut apple into like applesauce into like pudding like you shouldn't go too far from what that original food looked like i think uh-huh. i think that's a good rule of thumb but um but yeah and just and the rest and like just the acceptance and like i think it's easier for me now to like think about racing and be like okay like this can go good or bad as i can use that same thought process where like it could feel like the end of the world if I don't do good. But at the same time, like, what does that actually mean? Like, like my ability to explore how I'm feeling has changed. And 
because I've had to deal with some of the hardest things. So now having to deal with these other ideas that aren't as big of a deal, they're not life or death. It's it's a lot easier. Like I can I can think about stuff and just make decisions instead of getting caught up in in the worry. Because I think a lot of people spend time like fixating on an idea and getting it way too tied up in their head that they they never end up doing anything. So now I feel like well, all I've learned is you gotta like yeah. But the biggest thing is just do what you love to do. Like treat your body right, whatever that means. It's different for everyone. And yeah, like enjoy it. Like it's all so finite and like. I'm going to be, I'm going to be 40 by the time I know it. Like there's like, I don't know. It's like life goes by so fast. So just like do be nice, but do what you want to do, you know? Yeah. Do you think you'll find it kind of easier to be a, a maybe a healthier athlete, like a more balanced athlete, if that makes sense, like less likely to kind of overtrain and. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Like it, it's just balance. Like there's, there's no way around it. And I think. I mean, people do amazing things because they they don't have balance and they do overdo it. But I think that comes at at an expense and whether it gets them now or later, like I'm still going to train super hard and like I'll, I'll, I'll be more than normal, but I'm still going to I'm going to give my body that time also to recover. And I think it just it makes sense why that's better to like for a long for your life. Like it's not being an athlete is a momentary thing always like. It's such a funny sport we do. You just ride, you ride through the trees on pieces of carbon with metal and you just try not to hit the trees. Like what, what is that? It's, it's, it's just a thing we do. And like, we got to, we got to be healthy enough to do it. So, you know, got to look for that first. Yeah. When you step back and, and frame it like that, it sounds like a pretty insane sport, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. Oh, it is insane, but yeah, we make a big deal out of it. It gets way more complicated than what it really is. Definitely. And you've had the chance to get back to some racing already. How, how was that? Oh man. Yeah. I was, uh, I was at the BC cup last weekend and it was fun. Like I, I kind of didn't have expectations coming in and then I felt good. So I was like, okay, I'll try really hard on my seating run. Like I haven't been timed for a while. And then I got seconds. So I was like, Oh shit. Like I, I got something's right. Like my head's working. It was a very short track. So I didn't, it was like a two minute track and like the last half of it was very easy. So uh-huh. it's kind of the perfect one for me. And then but then that Sunday came around and I hadn't done more than one day of exercise without resting for a whole day after. So do three days of riding like full days. It was like, I was exhausted and I was like, okay, well I'm still going to try really hard, but I, I didn't have the run I wanted. But then again, looking back on it, it's like I'm less than three months from a stem cell transplant. Like people might be getting back to like walking normally walking around. So it's like, I, I'm stoked. Everyone around me is stoked. Like I, I, I can't really complain. And if anything, it just, I'm like, I know my head's there. I just, I need that body to show up. And now I got, I got till June or whatever to, to get strong. So I was going to ask what the plans are for the future. And we have got that conveniently long off season. Yeah. No, I was, I was kind of, I was like, saw that come out and I was like, you know what, if I get my stem cell transplant, it works out. Like I got time. Like I got, I got <laughs> way more time than normal to get strong here. So yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to be racing with the forbidden team still me connor and dupel and anthony and like yeah it should be good we just got that new downhill bike so we got a little bit of work this winter to like get it to get it connor started racing it but he didn't have a ton of time to get it set so mm-hmm. we're gonna spend a lot of time like getting it getting it all set and getting it ready to go really fast so yeah excited excited so we'll see you back on the world cup circuit in uh in june then oh yeah yeah no I got, i'll try to get I, it's funny because i've missed so many races over the past years but yeah, I think go do some small racing and get that, get back into that headspace. And yeah, I'll be there. I'm excited. 
That's incredible, man. It's super excited for you. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time, but we'll wrap up with our final four questions that we ask uh, most of our guests. First one of those, if our listeners had 150 pounds, which is about 220 Canadian dollars, I think, to improve their performance on a bike, what would you recommend they go spend it on? That's a good one. Um, I don't know. I think if I'm going to, I've had to, if you pick, are you thinking parts? Like I think, or just anything. You're not, you're not going to get a lot for that. It could be anything really. It doesn't yeah. even have to be like something that you can hold. It could be like, I don't know, yeah. some training or some riding or trip or whatever. Oh man. I don't know. I was, I was just going to say good, the first thing that came to mind was good tires. Like you want to, <laughs> you don't want to, if you're, if you don't have, you got bad tires, you got worn out tires, you might as well go buy some fresh ones and go fast. So what are you thinking. running? What's your go-to? Oh, I got Maxxis. Maxxis DHRs are my go-to. DHR Front and rear, yeah? Yeah. 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 That's good. Interesting. That seems to be pretty popular as a combo. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think people are scared because it's got the rear, the DHR on it, like rear, but I think it's a good front tire too. Yeah. Fair play. All right. Second one. If you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give him? And has that advice changed after <laughs> what you've been through in the last 18 months? Oh yeah, no. I'd shake his head. I'd tell him to fucking just ha- just keep having fun with it, even when you didn't feel confident. Like the times I've done my best are when I didn't even care about the racing. I was just having an awesome time on the track and not letting myself get worked up about little stuff. Like it's it's just bike racing. It's just bike riding. Like just have fun with it. That's why we're all doing it. At the end of the day, we didn't start because we. You make tons of money as a kid. You start because you love it. Definitely. Good advice, man. Third one, if you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? I'm a big, I love David Goggins. I don't know if you know him. Okay. I know the name. Yeah. 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 He's a hardcore seals. He's, I read his book a lot. Like I read his book when I was going through treatment he's, he's hardcore. And I think for people who do know him, it'd be cool. And I, I love his attitude. He's kind of like, yeah, just get over, get over the problems and don't worry about them and just keep working hard. So I think He's, he's motivated me through his, his book and his, the way he posts on social media. So I'd, I'd love, I wish I could talk to him in person and think, see what he says about stuff. What's the book called? I think it's Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Okay. And okay. Yeah, it's I'll his whole it life story. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. So he's a Navy SEAL guy, right? Yeah, he was Navy SEALs and then he was like ultra marathon runner. And then uh-huh. like he's done he's done some nar- like chin-up world record holder. Like he's done a weird... <laughs> weird amount of things yeah interesting all right i'll stick that in the show notes for people and then the last one what do you do every day that you feel benefits you ah meditation man like and but you got to be consistent like it's not one day or like every other day if you can meditate like i meditate for 15 minutes when i wake up and 15 minutes when i go to bed Uh and like people say oh it changes your brain but like it changes your brain like you you don't think that you don't get caught in these thoughts that like half like that you have no control of all of a sudden you're like okay i'm thinking this thought but it can wait or i'm not going to deal with it or i can let it go and it's it's insane if i do it for if i stop doing it for a couple days i get all worked up and i start doing it again and then all of a sudden i'm i can manage like whatever's coming up and it's it changes your brain and i think it's underrated because it's just you sitting there doing nothing but people don't sit there and do nothing enough honestly do you have a particular like style of meditation? Is it literally just trying to get all the thoughts out of your head sitting quietly? And yeah, I just set a timer and I basically, I just sit there and as thoughts come, I just, I mentally kind of say like, okay, sweet. And then I push it away and try to see blackness again. And then a thought will come mm-hmm. up and 
whatever I see and then I'll push it away. And like, it's kind of, you have to let yourself feel those things, but it's like making time to practice that is something like we don't do. Like we're always on our phones. We're always doing something. We never sit there and just try to do nothing. Like it's hard. People are so anxious and fidgety and, you know, you go to the bathroom, you go on your phone, like, well, why do you do that? It's because you'd want to do something like it's weird, but yeah, the more I meditate, the better I feel. I've done it all through my treatment and yeah. Meditate. Do you, good for you. Did you use an app or anything like that? Like how did you get started? Oh, I, I, I feel like my friends might use like a, like whatever calm or there's all kinds mm-hmm. of headspace. I just like a, just a timer with like a nice little okay. chime. I don't, I don't like a guided one. I just like, I think, I think it's more hardcore to just like, yeah, try to full stop your head for a bit. Cause yeah. you never do it. And how long would you say it took for that to start feeling like it was having some impact? I think like if you do it a week, I think you'll, you'll feel different. Like if you okay. can be consistent and it, maybe it's not 15 minutes, maybe it's not like 30 minutes total. Maybe it's 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night or 10 minutes in the middle of the day. Like it's just, it's giving yourself that time. Like we don't give ourselves time to like think about these subconscious thoughts. We try to try to fill our time every minute with our phones or with doing stuff. So it's like, you got to make that time and it's, it's pretty painless. It's just, it's hard too, though. It's hard work, but yeah, it's I've, I've, I've tried and never managed to make it a habit, but I don't think I've ever tried long enough to actually feel the benefits. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm saying like a week, if I do it a week, I'm like, wow, I feel so good. And my brain is not, not trying to just cons- like, it's not trying to take in everything. Like I can be okay with just not thinking yeah. there's a certain, there's a bliss, but that's like what you feel when you ride like that. There's so much mindfulness in biking. But then to like pull yourself out of biking and then apply it to life, like you get that much more out of it. So definitely. Yeah. Biking is my meditation for sure. It's the yeah. only time where my brain is totally like focused on one specific thing and yeah, man. No, nothing's I, creeping I, in and getting in the way of it. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think we're pretty lucky to have that because it's a, it's a bit of a get out of jail free card, I think. For oh, for sure. No, like, yeah, bikes are, bikes are great. <laughs> Can't they are, for sure, man. Well, that's, a, that's a nice place to wrap it up. Um, it's been incredible hearing your story and I'm super stoked that we're here talking about that in that way with the successful ending. And, uh, after everything you've been through, if people want to follow you, keep up to date with what you're up to over the, the coming days, weeks, months, and years, where's the best place for them to head? Yeah. I'm a, a big on Instagram. Yeah. That's kind of, that's where I put a lot of my stuff, but yeah, I think we got, we got some videos coming out soon, just that we've been working on through treatment and after treatment now so i'll be they'll be on whatever wherever you watch stuff probably youtube but yeah okay thanks cool i'll stick a link to your instagram in the show notes for the episode but yeah thanks man it's been an absolute pleasure chatting and and hearing about your journey so far i'm very excited to see you on a world cup racetrack next year hopefully get to meet you in person at one of the races or a few of the rounds so yeah all the best man thanks a lot for coming on yeah thanks for having me thanks for yeah taking the time asking some good questions All right, that's it for this episode with Magnus. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly found it pretty inspiring. A massive thank you to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show. As a downtime listener, you can get 10% off any Revolution wheel set, including rim only, for the month of September. All you need to do is to head to wheelonecomposites.com and use the code DOWNTIMEWHEELING2022 at the checkout. That's downtime with a capital D, no space, followed by the word wheeling, W-H-E-E-L-I-N-G, no space, then the number 2022 over at wheelonecomposites.com. Head to their site now and check out their entire range of awesome wheels. And don't forget, you haven't got long left. The code runs until the end of September. 
Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you'd like to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word, tell your rider mates and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>